Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I don't know about you, but when it comes to finding comfort food, I love to venture out of my kitchen and get inspiration from food trucks and local vendors. It's so fun to discover new pop-ups where immigrant entrepreneurs are serving up tacos or kebabs based on beloved family recipes. A lot of those pop-ups seem to come and go, but there is one place in Stockton where vendors have been selling homemade Hmong and Cambodian food for more than 30 years. It's called Angel Cruise Park, and it's especially busy on the weekends. Locals argue over who sells the best beef sticks or who makes the tastiest papaya salad. I'm Sasha Coca, and today on the California Report magazine, we're going to meet some of the vendors at Angel Cruise Park. Reporter Lisa Morehouse visited as part of her series California Foodways, where she's heading to each of California's 58 counties to tell stories about farming and food. I show up at 7 a.m. on a Sunday, and Rotana Latch is the first vendor to arrive at Angel Cruise Park. Before she sets up her cooking station, she sweeps the area clean with a tree branch. She used to show up even earlier. I come by myself all the time, like around 3, 2 o'clock in the morning. She wanted to establish herself in this prime spot. That didn't make her too popular with other vendors. After that, they get mad at me all the time. <laughs> but now this is your spot. Yes, <laughs> my spot. <laughs> her car is stuffed with folding tables, charcoal, cleaning supplies. You have to keep everything in your car, huh? Yeah, because I live at my friend's house. She shares a room with her four kids at her friend's house. She pulls out coolers full of food she prepped at home in the middle of the night. Uh, I make food is beef steak, beef steak, chicken steak, sausage, anchovy, stuffed chicken, lao sausage, and papaya salad. Rotana sets up a tabletop grill 
She's been making and selling food here for 15 years, but she didn't grow up cooking. In Cambodia, I don't, I don't want to cook. I don't want anything. You um, didn't want to cook when you were in Cambodia? No. And when I, my mom said, you have to cook? No, I don't want to cook. It felt too traditional to her. Bertana was born in the city of Batambang in 1974 during the chaos of the war in Vietnam and ongoing regional conflicts. She says when she was a little girl, she was injured when a friend accidentally detonated an explosive. My friend played with the, the bomb and blow it. He got his body, I get my body and my hand. Oh my goodness. She shows me scars on her hand and says she has a lot more on her legs and neck from fragments and burns. So that was when you were a little girl? Yeah, I was like um, seven years old. Her injuries can make it hard for Rotana to focus. Sometimes it's like my head hurt, pain. I cannot hold my, control myself sometimes. Sometimes it hurts so much, she can't even bear to have her kids around. And let me paint by myself, and after I, my paint gone, you guys come. She says a few years after the explosion, the family moved out of the city to cultivate land closer to the Thai border. I work in a farm every day with my dad, my sister, my brother, and my stepmom. Even as a teenager, she says she resisted cooking. I tell my stepmom, say, no, I don't want to cook. When the, when the people ask me married, tell them, say, your daughter don't have to cook, and nobody come. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like maybe you didn't want to get married. No. But eventually, she did marry. She says her now ex-husband brought her to Stockton from Cambodia 20 years ago. The city is home to one of the largest populations of Cambodians in the United States. She says at first she really struggled. I just only speak Cambodia, no writing, no reading. When I was, um, I came here, no speak English. I don't know how to write. Don't in know. English or in Cambodian? Both. Both. I go to a dog school. Yeah. Like five years. And she finally had to learn to cook. At parties, she'd take peeks at what experienced cooks were doing, and she spent time online. Sometimes I look on YouTube. That's how you learn to cook? Mm -hmm. By watching YouTube videos and sneaking at parties? Yeah. <laughs> the charcoal is hot, and Rotana scrubs the grate before getting out the beef and chicken sticks and the sausages. Do you make the sausage yourself? I make everything by myself. She says she makes enough money at this stall to raise her kids and send money back to relatives in Cambodia. Other vendors start to arrive, including some younger folks whose stalls are on the western edge of the park. Steve Kim is one of them. He's got a fancy tent with laminated images of all the items he sells. Lemonades, boba teas, Cambodian foods, and waffles. He's happy to talk to me. He even has his co-worker film us so he can put it on TikTok. Yeah, as a Cambodian-American, 
We're known for using a lemongrass paste. Lemongrass paste has like kaffir, lime leaf, garlic, longa, uh, turmeric, and not a lot of people. The 30-year-old says his stomach led him to start cooking. You know, in the fourth grade, I was like, hey, mom's always working, dad's always working. You know, when you come after school, you're starving and you're like, hey. So he asked his mom to teach him some Cambodian basics, and his cooking evolved from there. After managing restaurants for years and making food videos on TikTok, he started selling at Angel Cruise Park in the summer of 2023 to see if he could build a customer base before jumping into a full-fledged restaurant. Yeah, so once I got my business license and everything all set up, my permits and everything, I was like, hey, let's just try it out. He started out with three types of lemonade, strawberry, grapefruit, and dragon fruit, and then grew. Steve says this informal market is a Stockton institution. Angel Cruise Park has been around over, I think, 30 years. So when the South uh, East Asians uh, migrated from Asia, they decided to, you know, hey, to showcase their food and their culture. And then um, since then, this park has grown a lot. It's, the food is cheap, it's made fresh uh, to order. And yeah, people just like it because it's like a community, uh, community event. He likes that there are multiple generations here, elders who established this tradition and people his age who are expanding on it. You know, you hear a lot of negativity about Stockton, but once you come here and you see it for your own eyes, it's not like that. As I head back to the row of longtime vendors, Rotana's table is hard to miss. A friend set up speakers behind her. Her cousin, Bopa Om, has joined her, and the two seem to never stop laughing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we like to talk, play around too much. <laughs> we like to play. Bopa wears some of the longest eyelashes I've ever seen. Rotana shines. She has latex gloves on her hands, but glittery makeup and sparkles on her headband, leggings, and phone. While Rotana grills the meat, Bopa builds papaya salad, ingredient by ingredient, to order. I'd like a papaya salad with one pepper. Okay. She starts with garlic, sugar, and that one pepper. And then I just smash it. In English, we call this a mortar and a pestle. Cambodian is bar. Bal, bal, and andre. Shrimp paste, a little bit. Then crab paste, long beans, grape tomatoes, pounding as she adds each ingredient. She grates papaya, adds fish sauce, tamarind, then lime. Five paste, make it sweet and sour. And then I put a noodle in. I like a little noodle. Yeah. And some cabbage. Mash together. And I almost done right now. Bopa scrapes everything into a plastic bag and ties up the top. Done. <laughs> done now. Okay. Yeah? Can we get some biscuits? How many should we get? Anthony Montoya lives across the street and is buying a bag of egg rolls for his son. I come here every weekend. She's this the only lady I come get them from. Why is that? Uh, I don't know. The best to me. I've, I've had them from everybody here, but I always come back to these ones. Like, I, I'm, I get mad when she sells out. <laughs> I've came before and she sold out, and I was so devastated. Everyone's got their favorite, but all the vendors at Angel Cruz Park are keeping the food traditions of this city alive. <laughs> 
biển vắng mình mong lang thang bình ta nơi trên cao vang quên That was reporter Lisa Morehouse in Stockton with a story for her series, California Foodways. If you drive about 30 miles northwest of Stockton, you'll find yourself winding past rice fields and driving over tiny bridges that cross the waterways of the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta. You're surrounded by small islands. There are migrating birds. It's a beautiful environment. And we're in the middle of nowhere, but easily accessible to everywhere. This is a pretty quiet, pretty sleepy area. And it's mostly known for farming and boating and fishing. It's also got some new migrants, artists from cities. The big question was, do I stay in the Bay Area, which is getting unsustainably expensive? My friends are being displaced. They're losing their workspaces, their art spaces, their homes. It was just unsustainable. Reporter John Kalish wondered how these urban newcomers are fitting into life in the rural Delta and what an influx of creatives has meant for the community. Welcome to Secrets of the Sea, the very first act. But please give it up for everybody that made this entire beautiful event come true. A small crowd on a barge docked in the San Joaquin River watches as a burlesque performer strips inside a huge balloon. Outside, dancers dangle from a lighthouse, and a man standing on a floating raft swallows fire. This sea circus took place on a huge barge known as Forbes Island. It was once a novelty restaurant docked in the San Francisco Bay before its new owners towed it up to the Delta. It's a 100 by 50 foot barge with sand, real sand and real palm trees and a full-size lighthouse that you can go up in. Heidi Petty is part of the team that's been transforming the barge into a performance venue. And a full restaurant and bar downstairs. Heidi and her partners plan to move the barge to a marina they own and expect to stage more shows on the river. If you're willing to try things, the Delta will let you try them. I mean, that's why I like the Delta. An artist herself, Heidi loves that more creatives are moving to the area. She's a watershed manager for Contra Costa County during the day, but also runs a cattle ranch here. I think the Delta changed who I was and made me realize the things I could do. Heidi first discovered the natural beauty of the Delta while traveling for work. She made Oakley her permanent home in 2015. I like it out here. It's quite beautiful. I mean, at night, there's no lights. It's all stars. It's all animals. There's no people. The place needed some work. Squatters had been using it as a meth lab. They didn't know what to do with me. Like, who is this person that's demanding we do things and not afraid of us? So now they've kind of dropped their gangness. And so they actually start chatting with me. And so I said I was having a party. I invite them to the party. And I told them, you can't come as gang members. You come as people. Hang out with us. 
the Delta is still funky. I think everybody has kind of the attitude of mind your own business up here overall. Bill Wells is the executive director of the California Delta Chambers and Visitors Bureau. I met him at a farmer's market in Rio Vista, another Delta town. I was curious if locals minded that Bay Area artists have been settling here. The farmers seem concerned. They got farm equipment and claim people are coming and stealing crap out of their farmyards and stuff. But overall, I think people are welcoming to a little bit of growth. I see some of that growth displayed on Main Street in Isleton, one of the bigger towns in the Delta. There's a new coffee shop, a sandwich place, a weed dispensary, and the Maywa Beer Room. People were very welcoming and appreciative of me doing a cool business here in town. They were hungry for it, supportive of it. Ifa Walton opened this spot in 2017 after a fateful visit to the Delta. I took a motorcycle ride out here, and I was just kind of blown away with the vibe. Back then, Iva lived in Oakland, working as a stage designer and tile setter. When people ask where Isleton is, they say, well, you know, it's 50 miles and 50 years away from Oakland. I like that it's sort of a little bit stuck in time somehow. There is a commonality from the locals to the newer people like myself, you know, that we really appreciate this small little town that time kind of forgot. <laughs> Ivo was a little nervous that she wouldn't get along with other residents here. Moving out here popped my Bay Area bubble. I used to think that Christians and conservatives wanted to kill me for being a big old queer whatever. Completely not true. <laughs> Instead, she's found folks who, like her, want to live and let live. Some of the people I'm closest to, some of my customers are Christians and conservatives. It's been nothing but good treatment, and they have gay family members, and it ain't no big deal. It just isn't a big deal. Iva still considers herself a newcomer, but she's also gotten involved in her new community. She's currently serving her second term on the city council. One of her priorities is bringing in new businesses. The Delta is a thriving place without us newcomers. This is Tim Anderson, a legend in the maker community. He splits his time between Berkeley and a pig farm on Brannan Island along the San Joaquin River. Pig up, pig up, pig up, pig Anderson's crafty DIY sensibility is on display all over this farm, where he uses his battered sedan as a tractor and old apple crates to fence in the pigs. He's quite keen on his new neighbors in Isleton. The people who are in the Delta are just amazing, wonderful people. There's something about the obvious flood risk that repels uptight control freak kind of people. The people in the Delta are there to have a good time and not stop people from having hobbies. It's the antithesis of Oakland, says Anderson, where high rents and more regulation of artists' studios have made it difficult for creative folks to make it work. But out here... It's actually possible to let people live the way they want to live. That's why Anderson is encouraging Bay Area friends to move here. My goal is to have all the high-functioning misfits move out to the Delta because that's who's good for the Delta culture. We're plugging into an existing society that just is miraculously compatible. 
And it seems to be working. One newcomer has started a cooperative gallery in Isleton, and a nonprofit in San Francisco has started bringing visiting artists to do stints up here. All that activity is more folks checking out the scene on the weekend. That was reporter John Kalish in the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta. Recently, my family and I hiked around granite boulders until we found the perfect spot in Yosemite. It was a place well off the trail, and it had a spectacular view of Half Dome. And it was a place where we could legally scatter ashes. My partner's 100-year-old grandma died recently, and she loved Yosemite. She had also been very clear that she wanted to be cremated when she died, which is pretty common in Japan, where she grew up. But more and more Americans from many backgrounds are choosing cremation. In fact, now more than half of people in the U.S. are choosing to be cremated when they die, in part because of the high cost and the environmental toll of having a more conventional burial. Over the next few years, Californians are going to have another option when it comes to loved ones' remains. It's called human composting. And basically, it's turning the bodies of people who've died into fertilizer for forests and for home gardens. KQED's health correspondent April Demboski is going to bring us the story now of one man from San Francisco who didn't want to wait for the law in California to change. When Dennis Cunningham was diagnosed with terminal cancer, he wanted his death to reflect the values he lived by. He was a committed civil rights lawyer, defending the Black Panthers, AIDS protesters, and later environmental activists from Earth First. He was just like a profound environmentalist. He told his kids he wanted to be composted. When he said, this is what I want to do, I was just like, yeah, of course you do. That's Cunningham's son, Joe Mellis, and his daughter, Miranda Mellis. The love and adoration of trees was very deep in my father. He had a backyard studio in Bernal Heights where he made sculptures out of driftwood, bottle caps, and rusted car parts. He wanted his body to be part of that same cycle of decay and regeneration. It just was totally in keeping with who he was to not make waste, but to use waste. Joe and Miranda and their two sisters were all on board. They would arrange for their father's body to be composted and spread on the forest floor. Joe says there was just one hitch. It's literally illegal to compost a body in the state of California. And most others. So far, seven states have legalized human composting, including Washington and Nevada. It took California lawmakers three tries to pass a law to do the same. But it won't take effect until 2027. Oh, okay, so we're going to actually have to transport his body from California to Washington to do this. Joe's dad ended up at Recompose, a human composting facility in Seattle. CEO Katrina Spade says about 15% of their clients are shipped from California. We picked them up at SeaTac. Walking into the lobby of Recompose feels like walking into a spa. The meditation music, the earthy green and yellow window coverings. When the light comes through, we hope it reminds you of the forest light. They have a gathering space where families can hold ceremonies. But the composting happens in a cavernous warehouse in the back. Spade calls it the greenhouse. These are active composting vessels. 
We have 34 currently on site. Each body gets its own white hexagonal cylinder. They're all stacked on top of each other in the shape of a beehive. What's, what's that smell? I'm guessing that's straw today, let's see. Sometimes it's a little bit like, um, like a barnyard. Spade says when a new body comes in, the staff lay it in the vessel on a bed of wood chips, alfalfa, and straw. Then they cover it with more of the same. The idea to me, too, of being cocooned in that plant material, it's very safe feeling. If you were alive, it would probably be a little itchy, to be honest. This is when the microbes and bacteria go to work. The staff monitor the activity through temperature probes in the vessels. They usually start off around 65 degrees. And on day two, or sometimes just six hours later after we've placed the body, we see those temps rise to about 150 degrees Fahrenheit. On their own? On their own. This is microbial activity only making that temperature rise. Under Washington state regulations, that natural heat has to be sustained for three straight days to kill off any pathogens. This is where Spade channels her inner eighth grade science fair nerd. Whew, you know, seven or eight years I've been doing this, and I still, when I see that temperature spike, I think, holy mackerel, like, (laughs) it just feels like some sort of miracle, even though it is nature. The body stays in the vessel about 30 to 40 days. Every week or so, the staff rotate it to let the air through. It's transforming, it's turning color, it's turning dark brown, everything is being consolidated, if you will. At the end, the staff removes any titanium hips or knees left over in the process. They grind the bones down to sand and mix them back in with the soil. The process takes about two months altogether and costs about seven grand. More than cremation, but less than conventional burial. And environmentally, it's way better than both. You're saving over a metric ton of carbon. The final product is one cubic yard of compost, enough to fill a pickup truck. And after that point is when either families can come pick up the soil or it can be donated to a land partner. Your attention, please. We are now arriving at our destination. One of those land partners is a short ferry ride away on Vashon Island. I'm walking through the conservation area. There are rows and rows of little seedlings that have been planted and packed in with human compost. After Joe and Miranda Mellis' dad died, most of his soil was spread in a place like this, in a forest in southwest Washington. Another portion went under a tree on his family's land in Michigan. This beautiful, really old, huge hemlock that my father was really in love with. Some of the kids kept some for themselves. Joe has a box in his home office in Los Angeles. Miranda buried some in the woods behind her house in Olympia. In Washington, human compost can be spread anywhere as long as the landowner says it's okay. So this tree, which is the one we're going to, is a vine maple. And and then that's a Douglas fir. There's spider web. Ooh, look at all these spider webs. We duck under a low tree with thin, mossy branches. But so we'll go under here. Sorry, it's a little bit of crouching. Miranda has built a little altar underneath, a bowl of rocks and shells her father collected, and a crystal surrounded by a ring of pine cones. Then I meditate here, and sometimes I, I talk to him here. I think of this as like a telephone booth to the afterworld. <laughs> Miranda says having her father here, the sense of his body giving back to the earth, 
it all somehow mitigated the pain of the loss. And she says it made her less afraid of her own mortality. After all of this, you know, I think a few months ago, I, I thought, you know, I think I want to do it too. Both Miranda and Joe say they also want to be composted when they die. That was KQED health correspondent April Demboski. And that's it for the California Report magazine for this week. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Susie Racho is our producer-director. Our sound engineer is Brendan Willard. And we had production and editing help this week from Katrina Schwartz, Kevin Stark, and Jessica Carissa. And welcome to our new intern, Lucen Mendel. And I'm Sasha Coca. You can catch all of our California stories on our podcast, The California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area, its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures, then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.